Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. This podcast was recorded at our last gathering. Teaching like this is how we worship together every other week. We look to the scriptures seeking to become more like Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you've been with us at all this summer, we've been just hanging out for a long time in the book of Colossians. And some of you may be getting bored with it, and that's okay because uh, Dennis likes to tell me that you need to get bored with Scripture before it really pops for you. That's when stuff starts to happen. So if you're bored, um, that's a good thing. If you're not bored, that's okay too. Um, but we're going to just continue with Colossians 3, and I'm just going to begin by reading from Colossians 3, 18 through uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, or they may lose heart. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it, as done for the Lord and not for your masters. Since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has been done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. For some of us, this text may feel a bit uncomfortable. Um, I actually heard that at a a house church last week, somebody didn't want to read some of this passage. Um, And to be honest, this text and some similar texts to it have actually been used in some not-so-great ways, unfortunately, by the church in some instances. Um, It's been used to justify slavery or justify sexism. And so those are legit concerns, and I don't want to dismiss them. Um, I was having breakfast with Gary earlier this week, and he said, you know, but sometimes it's those really frustrating texts or those texts that we don't quite understand that make us feel uncomfortable that we actually need to wrestle with the most. Um, And so if that's you, uh, I just encourage you to wrestle. Uh, Why are these texts unsettling, and what might the Holy Spirit want to teach you through them? Uh, As we journey through this, it's important to remember, as Dave did a fantastic job teaching a couple weeks ago, um, about discipleship in Colossians, about grace, identity, about dying to sin, about putting on the new self and wearing new underwear, um, and the values and the virtues of God's kingdom. But one of the things that he talked about that I think was really, really important for us, and so I want to repeat it, is that you have to read the whole letter. (laughs) And so that rings true for this section. And many of your Bibles might actually have a little heading that separates this from from the rest of it. Uh, That heading didn't exist in Paul's letter. Uh, So it's really important that we remember all the stuff that we read leading up to this. And the verse that comes right before this section that I read is actually really, really important. Um, And I'll get back to that later. This is also a very contextual text. Paul is addressing specific situations within the church and within the culture of his time. Um, And this passage is primarily written to the heads of the households and what were known as paterfamilia. 
the head of the household, who was the father. And his household wasn't just a nuclear family, but involved a lot of people, slaves, children, maybe even some extended family. And the person in charge had authority. He had authority over these people. He had authority over wives and over kids and over the slaves, and in some sense had power for their life and power for their death. And so Paul is writing to these um, these paterfamilias uh, about how they use their authority and their power and influence. And in the culture of that time, this person had rights, a lot of rights, as opposed to the other people in the household. And the legal codes of those days outlined their, right, outlined their rights. But Paul, in this letter, isn't concerned so much with their rights as he is about their duties, about how they handle their authority, And he is very clear that authority is meant to be used in love, with gentleness, respect, justice, and kindness. And this is transformative for that culture at that time. Yes, he's hearkening back to the previous section that Dave talked about last gathering, and maybe you had a chance to read uh, in house churches last week. He's hearkening back to those virtues of compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness because he's making sure they get it, he's actually providing a very tangible, very practical way of practicing those virtues. Because they're not just an ideal, they're not just really cool ideas, they're not just what heaven looks like, they are to be lived out in the flesh and blood in this world. And so he gives them a very real example. Start in your own home, start in your own household, Start in your closest relationships. The household itself was essentially a house church because of all these people that were there. And it extended into the small community. Every relationship, every relationship, whether you're married, single, a parent, a grandparent, aunt, friend, child, every relationship is an opportunity to put on Christ. And Paul invites us to start with our closest relationships the people we interact with regularly. So start in your household. Start in your spheres of influence. Start with the significant relationships that you already have. For some of us, that means that we recognize that, yes, actually, compassion and kindness, those are the things that I need to practice most with my spouse or with my kids. And we may not have slaves, but this section seems to speak rather pointedly about our workplaces. How do we engage with our supervisors, our bosses, or those whom we may have power over in our work? And so Paul is repeatedly talking to the paterfamilias, those in power, about how they use their authority. But we also cannot overlook the importance of the others he identifies, wives, children, slaves. And we may get hung up on the words submit and obey because those aren't really popular words in our culture, but we need to pay attention to the people first. Because I think it's quite significant that Paul is addressing them directly, which means they were present in the church as this letter is being read. Now that may not seem like a big deal to us because we're all here, But in that day, that was a pretty big deal, that they would be present, and Paul is addressing them directly. He's not like, hey, 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 fathers, hey, husbands, tell your wives to submit to you. 
Hey, dads, tell your kids to obey you. He's speaking directly to them and actually giving them agency. He's giving them power. They actually have some choice in this. Will you submit? Will you obey? You have power. <clears throat> they are given power and expected to use that power in love. In all of these, the scripture very purposely addresses both sides of the relationship. There is a mutuality to them, a shared responsibility to one another. And that is what the new humanity looks like in Christ. It's all about relationships. God has reconciled us to God's self. He's also actively working to try to reconcile us to one another. So how does our being reconciled with God impact how we relate to those around us? How does our identity in Christ, our identity as beloved sons and daughters, impact our identity with others and how we identify with them? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. And I just want to offer a real quick word, a really important quick word, and I even struggle to make it quick, but this verse should never, ever, ever be used to justify domestic violence or to keep someone in an abusive relationship. This is not meant to tell anybody that they should subject themselves to violence or abuse, whether it be emotional, verbal, sexual, or physical. Domestic violence is serious, and it is not fitting in the Lord. There is need for healing for both the victim and the perpetrator. So if you are a victim or a perpetrator, or you know someone who is, may God give you the tremendous courage it takes to seek help. Again, I know that's a quick word, and I don't want it to be quick, because it's important, but I wanted to include it. Because Paul is writing about what a healthy marriage should look like and a few months ago, we had an opportunity to, to do an underground seminary that we actually did online. Um, and Doug and Mayor did a fantastic job of leading that. And I believe that we have the recording um, that we may be able to send to you if you're interested in, in cultivating healthy marriage and hearing more about that. Um, Kent and Cindy shared beautifully their story last gathering about being married for 40 years. And I was talking to Kent about that uh, a little bit afterward. And he just wanted to mention, he's like, hey, we would love to be able to get together with, with other couples if they want to um, hear about, you know, what it's like to cultivate a healthy marriage and to um, stick it out through thick and thin. So I, I say that Kent and Cindy have invited you all over for dinner. Um, you'll have to work out the details with them. Um, but yeah, I just want to give a real quick cliff notes of, of healthy marriage and what some of the things that we talked about in that underground seminary. Um, healthy marriage uh, reflects a sense of trust and companionship. Healthy couples cultivate fun, they cultivate intimacy, they cultivate healthy communication. There is affirmation, encouragement, there's also challenge. They challenge one another. And there is conflict, but they fight fair to work re to resolve conflicts. 
A healthy marriage is complementary. You build each other up so that you're better together than you would be apart. There's also flexibility, yielding to each other, mutual submission, mutual support, and you don't hold each other back. You encourage independence and freedom, celebrate each unique gifts and passions, and encourage them to pursue those interests and passions. And even more importantly, you point each other to Jesus and encourage healthy connection and relationship with God. So wives, yes, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Submit to and love one another as is fitting in the Lord. All right, kids and parents, children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. Fathers or parents, do not provoke your children or they may lose heart. Uh, we still have, I think, a couple kids in here. Kids, obey your parents. Okay? God loves it when you obey your parents. And this assumes that your parents are, are trying to raise you up in the Lord. Uh, parents, I'm not going to run upstairs and tell your kids if they're not in here about this, so you'll have to talk with them later. Um, maybe you can tell them to listen to the podcast later this week. Uh, but parents, don't provoke your children. Don't cause them to lose heart. This is a convicting word for me. Don't be harsh. Do not aggravate or embitter them so that they become discouraged. The chief role of a parent is to disciple their kids. Encourage them in following the Lord. Much of who they understand God to be comes not just from what you teach them about God, but how you relate to them as a parent. Uh, a couple months ago, I talked a little bit about connecting, empowering, correcting principles that Jenny and I learned um, as we began our journey of parenthood and this pyramid. And I, I'm pretty convinced that the one way that we discourage our kids, one way in which we're harsh with them, is when we flip this pyramid upside down. And we focus all of our attention on correcting our kids, rather than taking the time to connect with them and empower them. So I think this verse is talking about keeping correcting the primary goal of your parenthood and empowering your kids, and then the correcting falls into place. Um, we did an underground seminary on this too. Again, the recording is available, um, I hope. Uh, Cliff Note version, key things for connection, playful and joyful interaction, attention to their emotional needs and acknowledging their emotions, eye contact and physical touch are huge connecting principles, voice quality, how is your tone of voice with your kids? Character praise, words of affirmation and encouragement, giving them opportunities to lead, giving them voice and sharing power with them and intentionality. Empowering principles, this is about meeting their needs and also teaching them how to take care of their own needs. Also teaching them life value terms like compassion and kindness and gentleness and also modeling it for them and correcting, and this is the one we kind of struggle with, correcting in discipline. Do not be harsh with them. Do not provoke them to anger. You're correcting. The goal is to correct, not to punish them, to disciple them, to discipline them, to teach and help them learn and practice. So correction leads us back to connection 
and it helps us repair relationships. So correction is about giving them a chance to try again, to practice the right way and to make restoration. This isn't permissive parenting, this is authoritative, but it's also kind. It's firm when needed. All right, slaves and masters. This one may not feel as relevant to us. I'm assuming that you're not a slave and you don't have slaves. Um, but I do think this, this has a couple really important things to tell us, to speak to us. It does speak to us about the implications of how we handle ourselves in our workplaces. How do we interact with coworkers, supervisors, bosses, those whom we may supervise? How do we live the kingdom of God at our workplace to reflect compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, peace, love? How do we practice justice and fairness? And I think that, that final part, justice and fairness, reminds us of our important call because I think this passage also reminds us that even though it may not look the same, there is still slavery in the world. And we still have a call to practice justice in the world. I'm grateful for a number of folks within Renew who are actively working for justice and having conversations about how do we get involved in practicing justice? How do we support those who are in the work of assisting people who have been trafficked? And other folks who are asking questions in their jobs about what, what power do I have, what agency do I have in my workplace to influence how people are treated, to bring about just, fair, and ethical practices in my workplace? What projects can I do in my work that promote good for individuals and communities? And what agency do we have as a church to live and promote justice and good in our communities? What power do we have as Jesus followers in all of our relationships to manifest the kingdom of God, to bear witness that we have been rescued from the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son? I actually want to circle back to wives and husbands, not because I think marriage is the most important thing, we want to honor those in our community who are single. We want to honor those who have remained celibate. I'm not coming back to this because marriage is the best thing. In all cases, it's not the ideal, but it is a beautiful thing. And we want to uh, work toward healthy marriages, but we want to work toward health in whatever relationships we have, whatever God is calling us to. But I want to circle back to wives and husbands because I think there's something really significant happening. I'm really struck by the connection between this, why Paul starts here with his relationships. And it reminds me of the Gen Genesis narrative. In Genesis 1, 26-31, this is kind of a, a paraphrase, God said, let us make humans in our image, after our likeness. So God created humanity in God's own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God looked upon all that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. 
So people were created in the image of God. Now, if you've been reading Colossians, you know that that word image is really important to Paul and what he has to say about who God is, about who Jesus is, about who we are. And then in Genesis 2, we have this description of the creation of woman as the vital and beautiful partner of man. God creates the woman, and upon seeing her, the man responds, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And the scripture says, therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is a beautiful picture of what this relationship is supposed to look like, about what all relationships are supposed to look like. There is unity and mutuality. There is partnership and deep connectedness. Then shortly after, we see what happens when sin enters the scene. Trust, unity, connectedness, mutuality is broken, shattered. The relationship is no longer the same. Sin has broken relationship. Sin has shattered God's very good world. It has shattered the image of God reflected in the connection of the man and the woman. And in Genesis 3:16, God speaks to the woman saying, your desire shall be, this is after they've sinned, after this relationship has been broken, he says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And this is a picture of a power struggle. And all of history is evidence of the power struggle between people. Not just men and women, but brothers, sisters, people groups, political groups, religious groups, struggle for power. Other translations put this verse this way, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Or you will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And this was actually the status quo of the culture in which Paul is writing. Ancient instructions similar to what Paul is writing, these instructions to husbands normally stressed how he should rule his wife. But Paul stresses how he should rule her, not how he should rule her, but that he should love her. Paul is speaking of the new creation the renewed creation in Christ, and it looks like relationships restored. The connectedness, unity, and mutual love and care in Christ, in the Lord. Notice how Paul keeps talking about the Lord. Paul repeatedly references the Lord in this section because it was vital and is vital for Jesus to define our relationships and how we relate to others, not the culture not the power struggle that we see all around us. We do not simply conform to the culture, we look to Jesus. In Christ, we have been reconciled to God and we are being reconciled to one another. Relationships between husbands and wives are to be characterized by mutual submission and love. 
compassion, kindness, gentleness, bearing with one another, caring for and supporting one another, reconciled to God, reconciling to one another. Colossians 1, 19, 19 through 21. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. And in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them. The authors of a book called Colossians Remixed write, evil expects to engage in a battle of strength against strength, enmity against enemy. And as long as those are the terms, evil remains victorious. As long as we continue to engage in this power struggle using the forces of violence or domination, evil remains victorious. But in Christ, we are called to drape ourselves, surround ourselves, present ourselves with, and embody the character traits of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love. We are called to be a people rooted in and dedicated to peace, living lives characterized by gratitude, wisdom, and worship. We are called to be people who abandon the discourse of violence and exclusion that characterizes the empire, that characterizes the world around us. And we've seen some very tangible examples of this in our world in the last couple weeks. David Garland writes that Christ's lordship, the way that Jesus is Lord, subtly deconstructs the old habits of domination and exploitation. He rewrites the power struggle. Another scholar, Michael Gorman, writes about this passage that it is the transformation of power. Paul wants the church to demonstrate this transformation of power. How do we use power? We use it in the way of Christ, in the way of self-giving love. Colossians 3, 10 and 11, you have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. I love the beautiful testimony that Tim gave earlier, how Jesus is calling him to shed these distinctions, these buckets that he wants to put people in to deem them unworthy of God's love. This is exactly what Paul is writing about. Because the gospel shatters an us versus them mentality. It shatters the me first mentality. 
Paul's list of co-workers includes a wealthy householder, a slave, a physician, Jews and Gentiles. All are welcome, and the relationships are being transformed. Paul gave his life to proclaiming a gospel that broke down the walls of prejudices. Our birth, race, gender, language, and social class are not barriers to God's love, and they should not and cannot be allowed to become barriers in the loving fellowship of God's people. Um, Theologian Marcus Barth wrote, Justification in Christ is not an individual miracle happening to this person or that person which each person may seek or possess for himself. Rather, justification by grace is joining together of this person and that person, of the near and the far, of the good and the bad, of the high and the low, the liberal and the fundamentalist. It is a social event. No one is joined to Christ except together with a neighbor. So these commands that Paul is writing are commands to transform our relationships, to have them transformed into the likeness of Christ, into the image of Christ. You have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. Who is this image? Jesus, the image of the invisible God. What does this image look like? It looks like self-giving love, compassion, kindness, humility, forbearance, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love. The verse that immediately precedes this passage, Colossians 3, 17, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. In all our actions, in all our words, in all our relationships, church, we are called to represent Jesus to the world. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the one who is renewing us in knowledge according to this image this image of self-giving love. Can we represent this image to the world? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for the beauty that you created in this world, the beauty of connection, the beauty of relationships, And we recognize that our sin breaks those relationships, but we thank you for Jesus, our great reconciler, who reconciles us to you and is in the process of reconciling us to one another. We thank you for the image of your Son the image of our Savior, Jesus. We pray that you would renew us, transform us in all our relationships so that our words and our actions and our relationships 
would represent Christ to the world. So that in him all things will be reconciled to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.